Thank you, choir, orchestra, Carlos. I'm glad we did not miss that song. As a reminder to us in this season of gratitude that our God is the maker of it all. Gratitude is powerful. Um, John Neasley sent me an article earlier uh, last week in which the writers said we might call gratitude vitamin G because of its helpful health effects for us. The benefits include people who are grateful report fewer aches and pains, better sleep, lower blood pressure, less inflammation. It activates what doctors call the parasympathetic. Gratitude calms our nervous systems, both in English and in Greek. We have seen gratitude is closely connected to grace. Just a moment to reflect on what we have done in coming to the Lord's table. I've often said to you, this is a time of holy commemoration. But in my study this week, I, I took a step further into my understanding of the Lord's Supper, and I saw it, as some have called it, a time of holy communion, not because uh, the, the bread itself is holy, but because God has made us, His body, holy by indwelling us through His Holy Spirit. So when we come to this table in holy communion, first we commune with Christ Himself. It's not that the bread is the host, as some have called it, but that the host is here. I know that God is omnipresent, but the Scriptures would say to us that Jesus is really present with His people when we come together to His table. Not long ago, I went to a favorite restaurant with my friend Cloyce, and we were eating there, and the food was magnificent, and before long, uh, the owners of the restaurant came and sat down with us at the table. Better than that, they gave us free dessert that day. <laughs> and we just sat there visiting. They are fellow followers of Christ, were members here for a very long time, just between us. Don't tell Clois I said this, but I think if he had not been there, they would not have come and sat down with me. The benefit came through his relationship with them. And as we just sat there together, I thought, the food here is always good, but it's even better when the owners sit down and fellowship with you. Imagine our joy in coming to the Lord's table and discovering that the Lord himself, listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians when he said to them, is not this Bread of thanksgiving that we eat, a participation. The word is koinonia, a sharing in common with Christ himself. And is not this cup we drink a participation, a communion, a fellowship in the blood of Christ himself? And so when we come to the Lord's table, as Tim Chester says in a book about eating at the table of the Lord or having a meal with Jesus, I think is the title of the book. He says, so Jesus is present by the Holy Spirit and he invites us to eat with him as an act of friendship, 
as a sign of love. J.I. Packer said Christian fellowship is two-dimensional. It is um, both fellowship vertical with the Father, but also, as we've seen today, it is horizontal. It is communion with each other. So we sing to each other. We share life together. In chapter 11, which I think is a good uh, naming and numbering of that chapter in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, he says, you nullify the meaning of the Lord's Supper if you come to the table with divisions among you. It's as, it's as if he's saying in chapter 11, division will bankrupt you, church. It, it will bankrupt you if you come to his table with uh, divisions among you. And so we come with gratitude for the God who invites us to commune with each other and to commune with him and we continue to be grateful for the grace that brings us together as the body of Christ. Some of you will remember, I think it was one of our last prayer meetings before the revival, um, somebody saw a rainbow outside, and so we left the building. We were making laps around the church for seven weeks, asking God to bring down any barrier that would prevent us from revival, and somebody said, there's a rainbow outside. I think I posted a picture of it on Facebook, some of you saw that same rainbow that night. But as we were breaking up that night, I told you this story about my friend Bobby, who pastors at First Baptist Church of Lubbock. And when his little boy was nine years old, Hunter got in trouble, as uh, children sometimes do. And his father said to him, when we get home, I'm going to spank you. And Hunter began to, uh, to uh, weep ahead of time, anticipating his punishment and it was such a long drive home, Bobby said, there came a moment when I thought, I just don't want to hear him cry anymore. I just don't want to hear him cry anymore. And so he said, okay, son, I'm going to teach you about grace tonight. Grace is uh, sometimes when you don't get what you deserve, and you deserve a spanking, but I'm not going to give you a spanking tonight so I can teach you about grace. He thought that would end the crying, but the crying did not subside. In fact, Hunter became even louder and more vociferous in his weeping. And his father said to him, do you understand what I'm saying about grace? I'm not going to punish you when you get home. Why are you still crying? And Hunter said, because I'm so grateful for grace. <laughs> I know that feeling. Don't you know that feeling of gratitude for grace? And so he goes on to say to us, not only is this holy communion, but this is also holy consecration. In other words, I want to say to you about this table something the Lord taught me this week, that eating the Lord's Supper together, you say, well, compared to what we're going to have on Thursday, this kind of feels like meager fare. There's not a lot there. Good thing we're not really, really hungry today because this would not have satisfied the hunger of our bodies. But I came this morning to say this meal will satisfy the hunger of our souls. That in fact, there is a preventive power in eating the Lord's Supper together. And he describes it in this passage as he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10 to say, you can't drink the Lord's cup and also drink the cup of demons at the same time. You say, well, what is the cup of demons? And I'll avoid that, Pastor. Well, he's talking about them going to um, these 
secular feasts in that day, and they had food that had been offered as sacrifices to other gods. And Paul says in this passage, other gods aren't really gods because all the other gods are just zeros without a rim. As Christopher Wright says, false gods never fail to fail. But if you participate with them in their idol feast, their idolatry, then what you will discover is that in some ways there aren't other gods, but there are spiritual forces of evil in the world. And he says, you can't celebrate the holiness of God's supper and then at the same time celebrate the same things that the world celebrates, the sinful practices of the world. So he gives us good news there in verse 13. We know that passage, I think, a little bit better when he, he says to us that um, the temptations we experience, God always gives us a way out. But watch this. In verse 14, he says, so here's your part. Run. Run from sin. To quote the movie, run, Forrest. Run from sin. He says it twice in this, in this same book. In chapter 6, he says, flee from immorality. In chapter 10, he says, flee from idolatry. God will make a way out in some ways, eating this meal together, Paul says, prepares us for the temptations that are going to come. Eating this meal together precludes that you and I could ever be comfortable with sin. So he gives us a way out, and he says, now, take that way out. And in fact, we've seen both ordinances today, and just this week, this is what the Lord spoke to me as I looked at it. In this symbol of baptism, he shows us that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to live a brand new life. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He goes on in that same chapter in verses 14 and 15 to say, so if you submit yourself as obedient slaves, you'll become slaves of whoever you obey. So since you've been baptized, there's power in that, we say, well, it's, it's a symbol. Well, I did a wedding last night, beautiful, beautiful couple. He went to our preschool when he was a baby. She grew up in this church from the time she was five years old on, and they got married last night, and we made a big deal about those rings. And somebody will say, well, the ring's just a symbol, but a symbol is as powerful as what it represents. So if it represents holy matrimony, then it's a really important symbol. If baptism represents the resurrection, it's a really important symbol. If this bread and this cup represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ, then maybe we should stop calling it just a symbol. Maybe we should recognize that this is the very presence of Christ among his people Robert Holdane says, apart from grace, we can't fight sin. He says, until a sin is mortified in conscience, it can't be mortified in the flesh. Until in my own mind, I put sin to death, I'll never put it to, to death in my own body. Until I know I'm pardoned by the grace of God, I have no strength to fight the sin. But, Lord's Supper, when I know God has forgiven me, he releases me from the guilt of my sin and also from the power. Someday we'll be free from the presence of sin when we get to heaven. But for now, through Jesus Christ, 
we have been set free from the power of sin. What this means is, in your individual temptations this week, because God is faithful and he will enable you to overcome and endure that sin, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin because the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And what is the power to overcome sin? What is the power that sets us free? Hans Dilbeck, uh, who used to be Larry Heslop's pastor years ago up in Ponca City, Oklahoma, he preached a sermon recently and told a story I'd never heard about a man named Jonathan Walker. Jonathan Walker, who was convicted of the crime of stealing seven slaves and setting them free. He stole seven slaves and set them free, and he was arrested. He was put in jail for it. This was back in 1844, um, and he set these slaves free. And not only did they put him in jail, but they put a brand, a hot brand, to his hand. And the initials SS, slave stealer. But when he got out of prison, he went and he proclaimed the humanity of slaves and he preached against slavery. And it turns out, by all historical accounts, Jonathan Walker was not a very effective public speaker. But when he lifted that hand, he gave testimony to the power to release slaves from sin. And what the slaves saw when they saw SS was not slave stealer. They saw slave savior. John Greenleaf Whittier, the poet, wrote a poem about Jonathan Walker's hand. This is what he wrote. Then lift that manly right hand, bold plowman of the wave. Its branded palm shall prophesy salvation to the slave. And I couldn't help but think if you and I could look at the palm of Jesus today, we would see there's a scar in each of his hands. And the scar does not represent him doing anything wrong, but on behalf of all that we did wrong, Jesus is a savior to all the slaves. And the prophet Isaiah said, uh, by his wounds, we are healed. And if we've been healed, then we should live as those people who have been healed. If we have celebrated forgiveness, then we should live as those who have been forgiven. He has given us grace. Shouldn't we be grateful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence among your people. Thank you, Lord, for this meal that we have eaten. I pray, Lord, that in the power of the Spirit who buried us with baptism and raised us to life, in the power of the crucified Son of God who gave his body and blood for us, that this week, today, this afternoon, when we face temptation, that we will stand in all the strength of our Savior 
who has scars on his hands and by whose wounds we have been healed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.